You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing. And, uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. We want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's all, sir. It's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunch of this did it again. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Hey, I got good news for you, Shane. Sounds like you're starting the party early, and that's good because old Vanderbilt's on board with you, brother. Oh, really? Vanderbilt announced on Wednesday they've become the latest school that's going to sell beer and wine to the general seating area of the SEC stadiums. And uh, that's great. Not as great for Commodore fans, Shane, but it's great for all the rest of the SEC fans who just invade when they come to town. (laughs) Oh, we get to drink at both stadiums, Mike. How about that? So now this is uh, five SEC schools that you can drink at in the general seating. So we like that. We only got 11 more to go. But uh, this is a start here, Shane. And like I said, Vanderbilt's one of the smartest schools in the SEC. They're making a smart decision here. I think so, man. Hell, it's Nashville. I think that's a good spot. You know, we did have a, we did have somebody respond back to us about the Mississippi State things. You see that? You know, I was kind of curious why, why Mississippi is not. And apparently... It is illegal to drink at venues. Is that how I understood that? Did you see that? Yeah, so apparently Ole Miss and I Mississippi State obviously as well because they're in the same state there. So they must honor the drinking laws, Shane, but they sure as hell don't honor the NCAA recruiting rules. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. They it's, funny oh, how they, it's funny how they pick and choose the rules down there, isn't it? Yeah, they're still going to be sneaking alcohol in there. So it's not like they ain't been drinking in there anyway. Hotty toddy, gosh almighty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so how about this, Shay? before we go around the league? BYU fans are starting to get on Twitter. They're starting to talk up this trip to Tennessee for the week two. And now I'm seeing, if you're not seeing it, we need to share this on the Reddit page. BYU fans with the their patent Y trademark for BYU and they've got a y'all shirt for the trip. <laughs> Golly. Dude, you know, somebody said they sold out the allotment for their seats. So there, there's going to be a lot of people traveling. They said something like 3,000, 7,000 or something like that. Right. And somebody, somebody responded, said they said, so in essence, eight families are coming out this way. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Mormon jokes have started already. Well, speaking of BYU, Shane, I don't know this uh, dude's name or anything, but he was pretty fired up. This is one of BYU's 
players here. <laughs> He's doing us some some good old fashioned trash talking. Quiet little jabs in there after I make a good catch or something like that. Like uh, passive aggressive-ish? Uh, it, it depends. It depends. Um, Give me an example. So you just made a play against me, which would happen. Uh, you saw me play in the flag football tournament a few weeks. You would definitely uh, make a play against me. So what's something you would say if you caught a pass for a first down or something? Um, I don't know. Sometimes people mess around and are like, come on, you got to you got to put in the ones like are you your first string come on buddy let's go we've got to got to get we got to fix this right now it's like a two or three or something yeah, yeah or like if it's a one you say like are you sure you're a first stringer like i don't know there's things small things like that you're just messing around but i mean the defense has some guys that try to get in your head it's always it's always fun all right shane uh i don't know who taught this guy how to talk trash but he's clearly not an sec prospect Boy, they better have their earplugs ready, Mike. <laughs> Daryl Taylor going to be over here saying, I mean, could you imagine the stuff they're going to hear on the just in the trenches alone when they make it to Neyland? Oh, my gosh. And we're going to have alcohol in the stands. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, BYU's got a terrific fan base. They're going to travel well, Shane. It's going to be a lot more than 7,000, I would think. I think, you know, obviously that's the allotment, but there's secondary market tickets and what have you. But uh, I think that's going to be a great game. You know, we'll have plenty of time to discuss that. But it's kind of cool to see that there's going to be an, another fan base on Rocky Top for Week 2. And how about this, Shane? So this is some breaking news here. It's not official yet, but this comes from uh, Edgar Thompson of the Orlando Sentinel. He is reporting that Florida and Miami are in discussions for a new home-and-home -home series. Uh, now, this would obviously they open the season, but this that's a one off game. So it looks like here in the near future, Miami and Florida are going to be playing home and home. What are your thoughts on that? I like it, man. I'd rather I'd rather it be a home and home than this Orlando bullshit. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. This is just, you know, with the whole Disney thing. I just, I just think you're taking away from football. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I, I'm more excited about the home and home. That's what it's about. So, uh, yeah, sign me up for that one. All right, Shane, you ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go now around, let's the go league. around the league. We, we haven't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. I'll our player, I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, just hear it over and over and you know like every other or every third song it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice so you just uh, you get used to it it's a catchy tune right I mean. this game's gonna be a street fight this game's gonna be a street fight i mean some of you guys don't know who kimbo slice is hopefully you do um, and you go back to it man this isn't a sanctioned fight this is a street fight i mean this is the sec so man it's time it's time to put on a hard hat lunch bell let's get to work All right, Shane, let's start in College Station. Gigamag. Well, Jimbo Fisher met with the media here recently, and unfortunately we got some more bad news, Shane. Uh, these guys are dropping like flies. The nation's number one high school tight end signee, Baylor Cup, the true freshman, broken leg. Uh, no timetable on his return, but you got to think broken leg at this point of the year. He's probably out for the season. Jimbo mm -hmm. Fisher announced that. Of course, they got to replace Jay Sternberger. This potentially could be a big loss here for the Aggies. 
Yeah, because he went on to talk about not just doing one tight end sets, but two tight end sets, you know, and it's already a thin position. So, yeah, he's going to have to move some in players around. Yeah, but it's kind of a youth movement there in College Station under Jimbo Fisher. You know, they signed, I believe it was the nation's number four recruiting class. It was a terrific first class there for Jimbo. Looks like they're trending for something similar here in the 2020 class. Uh, but that's something that Coach Fisher talked about, particularly his five-star offensive lineman, Kenyon Green. It sounds like he's locked into a starting spot. And safety, Damani Richardson, who is also a top 100 prospect, he's probably going to start at safety, Shane. So uh, Jimbo kind of went in on these two players. And then he was also asked about the fear, if he has any fear, of playing these true freshmen. And I thought his answer was terrific. It's just a, it's going to be a big recruit pitch for college or for Texas A&M. Tell us about Kenyon Green and his progress and all the things that he's playing really well. He's playing right guard. He's number one at right guard right now. And we moved well. Uh, I don't remember a missed assignment yesterday. It might've been one on a question on a twist thing, but I mean, picking things up, smart, physical, strong, very natural football player and very gifted. It seems like there was a time not that long ago when it was almost rare to see a true freshman uh, playing or at least starting the offensive line. It still is. You think so? <laughs> oh, heck, without a doubt. And especially when you play inside. It's actually, when you play at tackle, there's less assignments there are at guard. Because the, the farther, the closer you go to the ball, the multiplicity of things increase. And, you, and, and there's more knowledge that has to be learned. You have to be a greater athlete on the edge, but we've got two experienced guys there. But the girth and size, he can do both. And uh, he's doing a really nice job. So if it's rare, how comfortable are you with the prospect of putting a freshman in the offense? I'm very. Okay. Another freshman you see been out there a lot with the ones is Damani Richardson. What have you seen out of him in front? Yeah, he's playing, say, playing really well, can run, accelerate, plays on the ball, smart, makes very few mistakes. These guys, see, here's what you, not only their athletic ability, but their ability to learn is why these freshmen are being able to do that, because they can use their ability. This guy makes calls, makes checks, can, has great ball skills, can tackle in space, can accelerate, can cover. I mean, he, he is a really, really good player. Is it safe to say he's going to make it difficult to keep him out of the lineup? Oh, yeah. I mean, right now he's running with the ones. So you've never flinched about putting a, a, a I ain't seeing an age I ain't seeing an age limit in the playbook or in the rule book. I mean if you're the best players you play and if they're capable and then if they're capable handling what you don't want to do as young players is put them in situations they can't handle. And I'm sure there's gonna be growing pains. There are. And we'll, and how we call a game or what we do or protection we call or run we call, at times we see those things, we can protect them with how we call the game and the situations we put them in. But then also I don't want to put limitations on them. I mean, I don't know what a guy can do. I mean, I don't want to be the guy that puts limitations on him, and we got to find that fine line. All right, Shane, so this is what you want to see. When you're bringing in these five-star guys, when you're bringing in these top 100 recruits, if it's not too big for them, and it doesn't sound like it is for Green or Richardson, I mean, Jimbo is more than willing to let them play, and I particularly like what he had to say there at the end, uh, just referencing that, if you're good enough, if you understand what we're asking of you and it's not too big for you, we're going to put you out on the field. Dude, yeah. I, I think, honestly, I've not seen a coach this year more excited about his incoming freshman than Jimbo. You know, and it's not like Jimbo's in a situation like Morris where he's going to have to put these guys on the field. You know, they've got some competitive depth. And I'm telling you what, man, you just listen. He's shining, man. Some of these guys, and like you said, I think you hit the nail on the head. Future recruits. What, what's the recruiting class? And I don't want to do a deep dive in recruiting right now, but what what is their rank right now as far as in recruiting class? I believe it's like number eight right now. Because I, I could see it really going higher, mm -hmm. especially if he is 
like you said, putting some of these true freshmen out there, and they're they're actually starting to shine. So, man, you got to be pumped up if you're an Aggie fan. Yeah, and they ha- I know they have three five-stars committed, and that's the second most in the nation. So, I, I mean, he's selling it here. And the fans, more than anything, talk about the coaches bringing in their guys, quote-unquote. And you obviously don't want to alienate the guys that you inherited. And I'm mm-hmm. not, not to say that I've heard anything about that at College Station. Obviously, these players are bought into what Jimbo Fisher's selling. But I think it's just easier when you're bringing in guys that you handpicked, that understand your culture, that uh, you know fit exactly what you want to do. And it sounds like the more guys Coach Fisher gets in here, he's going to put them on the field. That's it, man. And I think that just going off that, they know what, like you said, what Jimbo expects. They know what type of offense he's going to run. They've got what type of defense. So you can bring somebody in, and they may be running used to running a 4-3, and now your defense is a 3-4. You know, it just changes everything. The line, Maybe he's not as good now because he doesn't fit that system. So, yeah, this is something that you're going to see progressively get better down there at Texas A&M. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Rocky Top. Jeremy Pruitt met with the media here on Tuesday evening. And as you'd expect, Shane, nothing from this guy, really. He, <laughs> he was asked about, uh, the, you know, if he's any closer to naming starters on the offensive line. I believe his quote was, oh, we ain't got starters anywhere. And then he's like, <laughs> except we got quarterback. We got a quarterback. <laughs> <laughs> But the best answer he's given in all of camp, he even apologized for rambling here, but he was asked about the offense and defensive line, particularly these defensive linemen, Tennessee replacing every starter. We already know Emmett Gooden lost for the year. Aubrey Solomon, we have no idea if he's going to be eligible to play. Uh, but considering all these factors, Coach Pruitt was asked about these lines, particularly the defensive line, and he really went on a wild tangent here. Are you talking about on offense, defense, or both? You know, it's it's both sides of the ball uh, are just very inconsistent. Um, you know, from a defensive standpoint, um, just lining up, right? Lining up the proper way, you know? So, um, based off the running, running uh, excuse me, the backfield formation, you know, whether it's Backs in a three spot, it's gun near, it's gun far, or the wise off or wise on. A lot of those things change how you should line up defensively. Does that make sense? If I'm a three tech, maybe I need to be a little bit tighter. Maybe I need to be a little bit looser. Okay, maybe I'm I'm getting a run key here, or maybe it's a, a pass key. All that changes your your stance, your alignment, you know, all these things. Right now we're 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 still like with most of our players on the defensive line. Um, we're still in elementary school, okay? Uh, hopefully this next week we can get to junior high and the next week we can get like we're in high school and eventually be on the college level before the season's over with. Does that make sense? Just in knowing those things, I, I to me, I, I look at it like this, okay? We all get in the car every day. When y'all leave here, y'all gonna get in the car, okay? And you're gonna drive, whether you're going out um, Alcoa Highway or, or um, What's is it Kingston? Yeah, out, out there. So uh, when you get out there, uh, just shut your eyes while you're driving down the road, okay, and see how well you do. 
Because right? if you don't know the things that I'm talking about and you're trying to play defensive line, uh, you're basically playing with your eyes shut. Okay, so that's not really easy to do. So we've, we've got to do a good job of coaching these guys up and they've got to understand it and learn it, you know. So, you know, we can sit in a room and we can talk about it, right? And we can show it to them and they get it. They can write it down, uh-huh. They can give you the answers and all that. But when you go out there and the heat index is 105, do they really get it, okay? When it's the, the, the 65th minute of practice, do they really get it? When the offense is dadgum sticking it down their throat, do they really get it? I don't know. That's what, that's what we're trying to do is figure out <clears throat> who can and who can't, right? So right now, we got ways to go there, you know. But offensively, you know, I see guys that show promise up front. Uh, but, you know, with that position, uh, it takes all five guys playing together up front. Though, you know, an offensive line, they've got to play together because it only takes one of them to mess it up, right? One guy messes it up, the other four can do it right, makes, makes all five of them look bad. Whereas on the defensive line, uh, three of them can mess it up, and one of them uh, can, can really not do what he's supposed to do, but just because he's really good, he goes and makes a play where everybody thinks the defense is pretty good, right? So um, it's funny how those two positions are perceived. Sorry, rambling a little bit. All right, Shane, so you ever tried to drive down <laughs> Kingston Pike with your eyes closed? <laughs> I haven't, but I've, I've imagined that some of these people out here driving are doing that because, you know, <laughs> I, we put out a public service announcement, you know, please do not do this. <laughs> but I thought it was great. I thought it was a great clip because he's right, you know, something he hit on that last interview, you know, uh, some people are better at practice. Some people are better at scrimmages. Some people are better at games mm -hmm. and, you know, they can be in the class and give you all the right answers. But when it's like he said, that 63rd minute and you're, and you're having to make a decision, that's when you find out how prepared you truly are. So that's what we're in the process of. I hate that he came out and said that we've got no starters. I think that's stupid, you know, but, mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I do like the concept that he's given there with our defense because we, we've got some young players over there. Now, I, I would say it's safe to say he's not calling out anyone individually because, hell, none of these defensive linemen have any experience of note in this system because they just didn't really play that much last year. But one guy I have to wonder if he is kind of you know, referencing here, Elijah Simmons, a true freshman, this is a guy that old J.J. Watt was fired up about at the NFL draft, <laughs> and he's come in. He looks like a million dollars, Shane. This is, a, this is a big old guy. They're saying he's one of the strongest members of the team as a true freshman, and he looks nimble out there on the field. Uh, any, you know, if, the, if he gets the system down, you know, it wouldn't shock me if he's a starter year one. Any, any thought to maybe Pruitt is maybe challenging him to kind of grasp what they're throwing at him right now mentally? Dude, I'm telling you, you sent me a clip of him in practice, and you may be on to something because he is a lot more nimble than I thought. Now, this is the same guy that we – I didn't even see his hot video. The only hot video I saw from this cat was he's dunking a ball and throwing one from full court. You know what I'm saying? Right. That's the that's the only videos I saw on him, and he looked the part. But, man, I tell you what, in practice he is moving. He looks really good. He looks like he's been here for a couple years, and, uh, you know, that's – Maybe that's more on Fitz than it is actual Pruitt, but he may be right. You know, this is this is more than just 
being physically able. You've got to be mentally able too, because there's decisions you're going to have to make in them trenches, and it 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 could be the deciding factor of a first down or a touchdown. You know. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane. Sticking with Tennessee, uh, Coach Pruitt. He finally revealed why Balin Buchanan has missed all of training camp. Uh, this is Tennessee starting Nickelback, the inside corner. You know, is a is a very tough to tough to fill role in this defense because they're asked to do so many things but uh, based on what uh, Pruitt had to say here it sounds like Buchanan is most likely going to be out for the year you know unfortunately it's actually it's a good thing because of our doctors you know Balin I'll just say it, Balin had uh, a couple of issues um, you know during the off season and uh, basically we've discovered that he has a kind of a narrowing of the spine so for his safety and precaution, we're, we're holding him out. Uh, we've sent him to a lot of specialists across the country and, uh, you know, just kind of waiting and gathering information. And he has a red shirt. Uh, and one thing you got to figure out, right, is this something that, um, that he's had the whole time he's played, right? Or is this something that just kind of has happened right now? So, but precautionary, we've held him out. Uh, and we're going to continue to do that because his safety is our first priority. All right, Shane. So this is a tough blow here. I mean, Buchanan by no means uh, All-American or anything, but he played, he started every game for Tennessee last year. Uh, Tennessee's got a their young corners, probably the, the best young prospects on their team. So it's not like, like I said, this is not devastating. And Warren Burrell, the true freshman, it sounds like he's really standing out of practice. But now, now you're looking at, <laughs> You know, two true sophomores, maybe a fresh true freshman out there as your as your three cornerbacks. How big of an issue is this for Tennessee losing a, a senior that started every game in this defense last year? Dude, this is huge, man. I mean, and it's always something. I mean, I, here I am uh, googling half the day yesterday over spinal stenosis because I've never <laughs> heard of this thing. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw a guy tweet G Man Vols. If you ain't following him, you got to you got to get on there and follow him. He says continually amazes me how rare medical issues I learn about because of Tennessee football. We are the Ripley Ripley's believe it or not of sports, and he nailed it, man. It's like we we it's not an ACL or something. This is just rare stuff that you've never heard of before, and then we're stuck with. So I don't I don't know if that. Oak Ridge water is getting down in airs or something. I don't know, but um, yeah, I'm a little worried about it, and, and it really sucks because his, he is a player that played in every game last year. So, damn, you hate to hear it. So, what? What? I mean, it's like a. I mean, people retire from this thing. It would not surprise me if we have another another player retire for this. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like they're gonna probably give him the year off. He referenced the redshirt year. So, I mean, that's kind of what I'm thinking. Just wait and see what happens here and just hope for the best here and hopefully Buchanan's career is not over hopefully he's not even done for the year you know they've not shut him down by any means but mm-hmm. it's cer- it certainly seems like they're they're toying with that possibility yeah oh, golly mark all right shane let's jump on down to oxford miss. we're old matt luke must have been screaming at practice shane because <laughs> can barely understand this guy how hoarse he was but we did find an interesting little clip here from his latest media availability. And I thought the, the point that really stuck out to me, because we got a Rich Rod clip as well, so I wanted to kind of put these together here. But uh, Matt Luke on Rich Rod's tempo and just, uh, you know, the weapon that that can be here for the Rebels. I feel pretty good about it. 
couple of the guys were talking about the challenges of keeping up with Rich's tempo in that scrimmage. Did you see that kind of manifest itself, and how do you get better at that? Sure. You know, I think um, being able to mix tempos is a weapon. It's a weapon for an offense. You don't always have to play fast, but when you decide to go fast and you can change speeds, whether you're coming out of a huddle, whether you're going from slow to fast, anytime there's a change of pace, there's a challenge for the defense. So I think that's a good, it's a good mixture, and it's, it's, uh, it's in our tool belt, and we can pull it out when we need it. All right, Shane, so I, I kind of like what he had to say here. You know, they're, they're really, I don't know if struggling's the right word, but they got so many young pieces, so it's not only learning the system, it's not only you know fighting for your role, but they're also conditioning because they rich rod offense. You know it's kind of similar to the Chip Kelly style where they just want to go go go, and they're not going to do it all the time like Matt Luke said here. But you can switch to that in the middle of a drive, and that can really be used as a weapon. And I th- I think that's one thing Ole Miss if they're going to surprise some people, that's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to out coach them and out maneuver them on the field. Oh, Mike, it's going to surprise me, you know, because I've seen Rich Rod in a few places and, you know, I wasn't surprised or excited about his offense. So, uh, I, you know, I've been high on Ole Miss because I do like some of the pieces that they have. Mm-hmm. But this up-tempo, this, when I hear this, especially from a team that doesn't have the depth, it scares me because, you know, how many times last year, did we go three and out? Next thing you know, it's a 30-point ball game. So, mm-hmm. And that's why the defense was hammered because they're on the damn field the entire time. So, yeah, this kind of worries me a little bit. I was hoping for a little bit of slower-paced offense. You know, let's let's keep these young, stable running backs just in and, and get it three, four yards at a time. It ain't going to be pretty, but at least you ain't going to get blown out. Mm-hmm. Well, sticking here with the Rebel Shane, Rich Rodriguez, he spoke about the offense here on Wednesday, and I thought the highlights of what he had to say, Ole Miss may struggle on offense. We know they got some good running backs. There's a lot of promise there with Matt Corral, but maybe the underrated aspect of this offense is this receiving core. Elijah Moore returns after a true freshman season. He had nearly 400 yards, 36 catches last year. And then Jonathan Mingo, the true freshman, Under Armour All-American, this is a guy with nearly 1,500 receiving yards and 14 touchdowns during his high school senior season. Uh, Rich Rod sounds pretty high on his receivers. Elijah coming in here and Moore coming in here in a minute. What's your impression of him this fall camp? Uh, He picked up right where he went in the spring. Uh, He's a competitor. He loves to play. He works extremely hard. It's really important to him. And and he's like everybody else. Sometimes he presses a little bit and tries to do too much. Uh, but he's a really good player with a, with a great attitude, and uh, we don't have a lot of veterans. And it's hard to say that he's a veteran, but at the same time, he's played a little bit, and uh, he's one of the leaders of that group. And uh, he should have a big year for us. Thank you, Pat. What kind of camp has uh, Jonathan Mingo been having for you guys? Been really good. You know, the, one of the things we knew the physical part was there when we recruited him. You know, he's a big, strong, fast guy, but he's picked things up uh, really well mentally. You know, the football part of it. It, uh, he's worked really hard on that, and he's going to play. He's going to play an awful lot uh, as a true freshman. Maybe starting, I don't know, but he's definitely going to be in the mix. All right, Shane. So, like I said, these young guys are going to get thrown into the mix, and <laughs> at least the way Rich Rod is selling it, it sounds like they're buying into what he's asking them to do. And um, if, if these guys really live up to the hype, I mean, we could have another NWO-type uh, receiver core here emerging here in Oxford. 
<laughs> let's let's pump the brakes, Mike. You know, <laughs> Brown and Metcalf and Lodge. I mean, those those boys are are. I mean that they're they're once not an, I want to say generational, but at least every twenty years, and especially having all three on your team at the same time. So to say that we're gonna we got another just a stable behind them now. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna get too crazy there, but hey man, I, those guys were guppies once too. <laughs> I know, but man, oh geez, I, that's that's a tall glass of water, Mike, and I'm not ready to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Chad, I'm just trying to give him some hope here. All right. Sorry, I, I'm usually high on Ole Miss, but God, I did, I did not like the news I heard today. It's everything. I just maybe I'm just being a little negative today, Mike. Sorry. That's all. Right. This rare diseases floating around. <laughs> Jeez. All right, Shane. Let's jump on down to Athens. Oh no! Sick him. <laughs> Where old Eli Wolf? He for the first time since he went down to oh. Georgia, former <laughs> former Tennessee <laughs> tight end. He, he kind of touched on his transfer situation. I thought this was kind of – this would be kind of interesting. People get a little window into the transfer portal. You know, this is one where it was big news when it happened, you know, just the fact going from Tennessee to Georgia. But something that I think a lot of people have kind of forgotten about or um, – I don't know. This is just – it was pretty interesting, I thought, basically his whole – spiel here so uh i had to kind of cut this together so it's not a one complete piece but i tried to i tried my best to make it into one um i, I just uh, was looking for something for my future and the, and the best option for me and uh, when i entered the portal uh, georgia was one of those schools that was one of the first to call and it was a great place for me to land um no sir i uh i entered the transfer portal um mid to early january uh, about right when uh, coach cheney came in so we kind of left and came at the same time. So did you communicate with him about, did he try to get you to stay or anything? Uh, I, I never talked to Coach Shane. So the way it works is you literally, like, I guess you go to the compliance person, say I want to go in the portal, and then your phone starts to, um, how does it go? Yeah, the process was I, I had um, extensive conversations with uh, people on the staff, and after my ultimate decision was made up, I uh, went to compliance, said I'd like to enter my name in the transfer portal. We took those steps, and um, once your name is in there is when coaches can start contact. Um, well, yeah, realistically, yeah, there was a, there was a uh, position of need, and, I'm, you know, Charlie and Fitz are um, both great tight ends, and, and I, I felt like I could help the team along with those guys. And um, the tight end room here is great. You know, uh, Brett, you know, Ryland Goody, and the walk-ons, everybody. Everybody's really talented here, so I'm excited for this season. So I know you want to, you know, you want to be politically correct and everything. You've got friends and on both sides of this rivalry, but it is an SEC East rivalry. I'm just wondering, just from an objectivity standpoint, can you kind of tell a difference that Georgia's kind of a, you know, in a national uh, top five position right now, where Tennessee uh, seems to be in a little bit of a rebuilding patch? Well, you're exactly right. I'm going to be politically correct here. Um, I'm not going to get into comparisons. Um, I have a lot of I have a lot of friends, and, and Tennessee did a lot for me. So um, I'm I'm gonna, I'm just going to say I'm excited to be with Georgia here, and I'm excited for the season. Is, was there ever a time, whether it's talking with your brother or talking with your parents, or whatever, that you're considering Georgia and it's kind of like, ooh, Georgia? You know, what I mean, all those games, all those you know, you were a part of them, he was a part of them. Was there ever kind of a Pullback there in that regard? He, he said, you do what's best for you, but um, when it comes to time Georgia and Tennessee play each other, he's like, I'm rooting for the Vols. So um, he, he hopes that I do well that game, but I think he's he's still uh, sticking with his alma mater. So. 
All right, Shane, so of all of Eli's spiel there, I bet uh, your favorite part was when he, his brother Ethan told him he's not rooting for him against Tennessee. <laughs> Mike, oh, geez. Just when I thought I was out, you pulled me back in. You know, it's like I done forgot about him. I ain't going to lie. I forgot Wolf was down there. And then I, you see me at clip. I was like, are you kidding me? Like out of all the Georgia players we want to talk to, Eli Wolf that probably ain't even starting down there. Jeez. What, I don't even know what he said. What did he say? How great it was? How great it is down there? How he likes the food? And, yeah, he didn't want to comment about the Tennessee comparison. I get that, you know. So, what? now his brother says that he's not going to pull for him or he's not going to pull for Tennessee? Uh, his brother Ethan said he's, he's not pulling for his brother. He's pulling for Tennessee. Oh, okay. All right, Ethan. I like you. <laughs> <laughs> But I did, I did think it was interesting how he noted that, uh, no, I don't know if there was any malicious content here, but he did say Jim Chaney, he never spoke to him. So kind of made it seem like Chaney and them didn't want him or he didn't want to play for Chaney. I don't know. But uh, I just thought that was that was kind of the most interesting aspect there. And, you know, he had his opportunities. We've got to give him credit. He had his opportunities to say anything he wanted about Tennessee and he he wouldn't take the bait he, twice in that interview he said he was not going to uh you know do the comparison thing so I think you gotta <laughs> give Eli Wolf that at least that's right he was a lot more professional than I was Mike <laughs> <laughs> all right Shay let's jump on down to Columbia South Carolina Will Muschamp met with the media here recently and you know, I thought this was some kind of interesting stuff here. He seemed a little edgy. I don't know if you, if anyone didn't see the press conference, he's got on a white polo and he, I think he wrote, he wrote in Sharpie. I think it says match me. I think that's kind of their, their theme of camp, but it looks kind of raggedy there, but his attitude is a little raggedy there, Shane, until uh, I thought this was kind of interesting because this is something, you know, this always comes up when fans discussing training camp where, you know, if you got a running back that goes off, they're like, "Oh my God, our defense can't stop the run." If you yeah. if you got the defensive backs are intercepting passes every game, it's like, "Well, that's nice, but oh my God, the quarterback's terrible." So, mm-hmm. Will Muschamp on judging camp performances, I thought this was something that uh, SEC fans would appreciate. Coach, you mentioned a second ago, good for one side, bad for the other, and it's a scrimmage like this when your team's going against each other. Where do you judge the improvement on an individual position or, or team-wide basis when you know that your sides are facing off against each other? And then where do you see that progress? Where do you monitor that as camp continues? Are they correctable errors? <laughs> are they correctable situations from a talent standpoint, from a scheme standpoint? And if they are, then that's a good thing. If they're not, then that's kind of where you are. And you got to understand that, and that's probably a weakness of your team. But anyway, there were some contested plays out there today on both sides and, and, and plays made on both sides uh, that were, you know, obviously promising for our team. But, you know, we still have a ways to go. All right, Shane. So that we got a little lesson there from Coach Muschamp. Uh, I just really liked uh, this kind of message that he had here. Yeah, it's crazy. It was starting to come out a little bit there, Mike. So, <laughs> But he's right. I mean, it's hard. That's like spring games and stuff. Right. It's one thing if, like, your ones are going against your ones. Then if your offense does great, you can say, man, our defense sucked. But if ones are going against twos, then, you know, you're happy if your ones are doing good. And if the twos are pushing the ones, you may get a little, little upset about that situation. So it's really hard to judge, I would think, 
just I think it's more of a film breakdown, you know, and you get a lot of these guys right after the scrimmage and they're asking all these questions. Well, they really need to get back in there, watch the film and actually break down what had happened during that scrimmage because they're just they're just going there's so much to going on, you know, and uh that's something that kind of coach hits on. All right, Shane, and the other thing, sticking with the Gamecocks here, obviously all off season, this is a constant theme. Jake Bentley eliminating interceptions and the Gamecocks converting in the red zone. Uh, I know it's been said time and time again, but you know, go watch the game. It backs it up. If the Gamecocks could have converted two red zone opportunities against Clemson where they came away with nothing, they, if they score touchdowns there, it's a different game. So that's something they've been focusing on. Uh, here's Will Muschamp on Bentley and in the red zone. Specifically with Jake and the turnovers, what has been your impression through ten practices? Is that better from your perspective? Yes, it's, I mean it's it's better, much better uh, than, than than obviously last fall, and it's got to improve, and he understands that. So no, it's been much better. And again, today was another positive step. You talked before the season started about improving the red zone efficiencies. Just have you seen the team take strides in doing that? And what makes outside of putting the ball in the end zone, obviously, a good red zone offense? Well, offensively, you need to score points. 100% of the time, and and if you score at 70, 70% of the time scoring touchdowns, you'll probably lead the country. Defensively, you want to hold the offense to 60% of the time of having to kick field goals, and if you do that, you're probably leading the country. That That's our standard. That's where we want to be. Um, you know, last year we had 56 opportunities in the red zone. 13 times we walked away with no points, eight of them being uh, turno- turnovers, five on downs. Uh, some of those were situational as far as the game was concerned that we probably could have kicked a, a field goal and, and gotten points and we didn't from because of the uh, you know the circumstance of the game but uh, but those are our goals you know in, in the red zone our guys understand that we've we always spend a lot of time in the red zones so it's not like we've started working on it now I mean that's that's uh, we've always spent a lot of time there and we had a good period today down there in the defense you know defense held the field goals no situation so that's good for the defense not for the offense. All right, Shane, so Will Muschamp's teams always seem to have some kind of issue whether on offense whether at Florida. I mean, he couldn't <laughs> find a quarterback. Now he's got all – I mean, it seems like he's got an all-American quarterback every year at South Carolina, but it's just not clicked completely. I think they're, they're so much they're, – they're close. They're so close right now. But if they get this aspect down of it, kind of like he says here, uh, Gamecocks could – it could be a dangerous team on offense. Yeah, and again – this whole thing, I listened to the whole deal, and even though he was, uh, you know, like you said, he felt a little edgy, he still felt confident about the team and where we're at. And and honestly, I feel like he just thinks we're missing a few pieces. And once we get those figured out, that he's going to have the best team he's had in probably his entire coaching time in SEC. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, let's jump on down to Nashville. Take it down. Derek Mason kind of recapping a recent Vanderbilt scrimmage. He didn't want to get in a ton of the scrimmage, Shane, <laughs> but I thought this was hilarious. This is one of my favorite clips of the day. Apparently uh, some unnamed defenders here had to, had to, after practice, had to put in some extra work. Derek Mason explained what that was all about. Speaking of defensive focus Sunday night after practice, those guys went through a pretty extensive little uh, – course uh, uh what, what explain that i guess a little bit there the kind of post-practice training right there yeah man they had to pay the debt you know the reality is uh when you play football you know and and you scrimmage man we, we have a we have a saying in the defensive room all gas no break okay and there wasn't a lot of gas and a whole bunch of breaking so i mean they had to pay the piper 
and you know, like with that, they had, they had a low circuit, okay, and definitely don't don't expect to see uh, that low circuit be that intense uh, again. And you, you just have to set a culture, and I think that's exactly what he's doing. I mean, he he understands how football is played in this league. You know, I mean, I mean, he's a year removed from the NFL, and having a chance to see what it is, man, you have to have an expectation of when you hit the football field of how your guys are going to play. Okay, and if the guys don't hit the expectation, well, then we got to pay the piper and pay the debt. You know, as soon as we can, we pay the debt on Sunday, and now we move on. All right, Shane. I thought you would appreciate this little clip. <laughs> they had to pay the damn price, huh? <laughs> pay the piper, buddy. That's what. That's right. I like that, man. Dude, I I can relate, man. There's been some bad. I mean, seriously, there's been some bad games we had, and and you knew you were gonna have to run some gashers and probably a couple of extra ones just because you know we just did. We did horrible in practice, or we did horrible on our assignments during the game, and there's nothing worse than after practice having to put in that extra conditioning. But uh, like you said, he's trying to create a new culture down there. Not a new culture. He's just trying to maintain the culture. I think Mason's got it figured out. And uh, just getting some of the young guys bought in, and all gas, no break, Mike. I like it. But in addition to that comment, Shane, I thought this was kind of interesting. Uh, Coach Mason talking about his running back depth and how that's coming along. And, of course, we can't touch on the Commodores without hitting the quarterbacks. And I really liked what uh, Coach Mason had to say about this ongoing quarterback competition. Jamari Wakefield, what are your expectations for him this year? Play. You know, I mean, Jamari Wakefield is better back than he was a year ago. Okay, I mean, you see it in protection. I mean, you see it as a runner. Uh, it, it, again, I'm challenging him. I'm challenging him to be a three-dimensional back. You know, sometimes you 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 want to chase the guy in front of you, and what you got to do is build your repertoire. I mean, you got to build your game. I mean, you got to be a better, you know, man, pass protector. You got to be a better inside runner. You got to be able to catch the ball out of the backfield. Got to be a three three-dimensional back in the SEC. And you know, I'm seeing that from him. Uh, I, I think uh, he's also got guys on his heels too. I mean, I. I look up and, you know, Keon right now is, is pushing it. And I think that's what they all want. You know, Keyshawn, you know, comes out here every day and he's going to give you everything he's got. So I think I'm starting to see a bunch of alpha males develop in that room, you know, besides Keyshawn Vaughn. And we need that because we need depth at running back. You need at least two or three in this conference for men to go through a season. Go. Are you seeing any separation at quarterback, or is that still a pretty even race? Man, right now, I mean, they're just competing. Uh, in, in, in terms of separation, I get charts, and, you know, I mean, they put those charts on my desk, but the reality is when you get out here and you get tested in situational football, that's where you got to respond. The one-on-ones don't mean a whole lot to me. 707 don't mean a whole lot to me because last time I checked, you know, I mean, you played a game with 11 guys on the field. So, you know, I'll check it out. Uh, you know, as we get closer, but I just want to see uh, improvement. I tell these guys every day, grab the 1%. You know, I mean, there's 1% every day where these guys could grab it, get better, continue to focus on, uh, you know, what's there, and that's what these guys are doing. So uh, let, let's not get caught up in, you know, like who's winning the race. Let's make sure we get the work done, and then after that, I'll decide, uh, you know, maybe who's going to go out there first. All right, Shane, so I wanted to hit on that running back depth in particular because we all know Keyshawn Vaughn. You know, our guy Brett last episode said, you know, this could be all-American, all-conference type player. He's got that potential, but he's been hurt a lot. So it's important that Vanderbilt mm-hmm. has depth behind him. Uh, the uh, Beckwith here, he had, a, I think he had almost about 600 yards last year. So he's a quality SEC player. 
Uh, and then on the quarterback, Shane, I just love what he said. You know, you could throw out all these numbers. You could throw out all these passing charts. Seven on seven means nothing. <laughs> I, I need to see what these guys are with live bullets flying around. And I, it just it doesn't seem like there's enough coaches. They may be thinking this, but they're just not saying this. I did like how he was talking about the uh, just, I mean, kind of like the alpha dogs. You know, I, it just mm-hmm. sounds to me like those running back, maybe that running back room's got a little bit of swagger to them because it's not just Keyshawn. Apparently, they've got some, they got some dudes in there, and they may have to step up because one thing he hit on, and he's right, man. A lot of people say, okay, well, Keyshawn Vaughn is one of the best running backs, or Benny Snell was one of the best running backs in SEC. But if you don't have other pieces behind them, you know, two or three. You need two or three to make it through a season because those guys need rest. Those guys could get banged up. Um, and you got to have somebody that can step in and uh, maybe mix things up a little bit. So I really like that that attitude that, that I'm hearing from Vanderbilt as far as running backs. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, let's jump to Auburn. The war damn eagle. Well, Gus Malzahn on Wednesday broke down the second scrimmage of training camp. And it sounds like the offense had a lot better day than they did in the first scrimmage, aside from the receivers. He really makes a point here about the receivers dropping some key passes here. Uh, but let's jump to Gus Malzahn, of course. He's asked about the quarterback competition, so we'll we'll get into that uh, on the back end here. You know, I think we've went eight two-minute situations in the last two days with the SEC officials. It's always really good to to execute that, you know, it helps helps our young quarterbacks, you know, learn what the expectations are and put them in as many situations uh, as possible, you know, to try to get them game ready too. Uh, both quarterbacks, uh, you know, rotated uh, equally the last two days with a two minute, and, and I think you know, obviously, it's great for our defense in those situations too. After that, uh, we put the ball down. It was a real summer scrimmage to what it was. Um, the, uh, the last uh, scrimmage, about the same number of plays with the ones, twos, and threes, quarterbacks rotated equally. There was a little bit more of an emphasis on throwing the ball. Um, this this uh, scrimmage usually is, uh, that's by design. Um, you know, our, our receivers, uh, you know, were a little inconsistent. We had a couple big drops that really would have really kept drives alive and probably put some points on the board as far as that goes. The offense overall uh, really rebounded. Uh, you know, we're starting to look like an Auburn offense. If we get uh, just the inconsistencies uh, with a few drops, I think we'd have felt a little, little bit better uh, about that. But uh, through the heat, questions. Did this scrimmage get you a meaningful step closer in the quarterback battle? No, you know, I think I think anytime you scrimmage, like I said last time, it's going to give us great information. You know, sitting here today, I can't tell you any more really than I did last time, but. Uh, other than the fact we got two scrimmages now, and uh, we were getting more and more information, and I thought both guys at times, uh, you know, did a, did a very solid day today. Like I said, we, we're starting to look like an Auburn offense. We're not there yet, but we're starting to look that. You see flashes, and uh, so, like I said, overall, I think both those guys did some good things. All right, Shane. So we go from Derek Mason, who's give who give you some real answers, <laughs> and then damn Gus Malzahn, who. I don't think he tells his wife what's going on. I mean, this guy keeps everything to himself here. And I just, you know, it's interesting because he gets so specific about these receivers and then he won't say anything about the quarterbacks. We saw this on this on a, his previous presser when he wouldn't even say who's, you know, who's throwing the interceptions, who's fumbling. And I do not know what is so secret here. I'm going to tell you right now, Shane, the starting quarterback 
for Auburn against Oregon is going to be Bo Nix, and I have no doubt that that's the case. And I'll tell you this, man. I listened to this whole deal, and about six times he said, now, I'm not going to say that it looked like an Auburn offense, but we're pretty close. I mean, we're just right there. Don't you write it yet, you know? He's <laughs> like, he's like, so I don't know. Maybe I took it different. I took it like, you know, they bounced back. They had a great showing today, and, and he felt better about the offense. The only thing that he really bashed was the drops with the receivers, but mm-hmm. he don't even have his starting receivers out there. So maybe in the back of his mind, he's like, well, if I had those guys out there, we would have had a hell of a day. So, but then, like you said, they asked about quarterbacks. So I don't, you know, I don't, I don't know. We'll decide. <laughs> you'll see, you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, considering the fact Oregon's got no tape on hardly any of these guys they for Knicks, they'd have to go to high school uh, for, mm-hmm. for Gatewood. They, what do they have? They, they have nothing. I don't. Nothing. I mean, I don't understand. But you know, we saw Miami name their quarterback already. Uh, I. I mean, I'm. I'm really not blaming them. I guess, but I don't know if it's obvious. And from what I'm told, the answer is obvious. I just don't. I don't understand what is. What's the show all about? You know what I mean? Yeah, and I think about it. Every like, if you just think the last decade, how many times we've had this kind of quarterback competition going into the season? Very rare. Does it? you know, paint a pretty picture at the end of the season. You know, it's like, just go ahead and name the guy. Just mm-hmm. just have your team out there. Let them know who the leader is. And then just put everybody to rest. They even did that with Alabama with two. And that was, that was a big one. Mm-hmm. And uh, Chris and, and JG up in Tennessee. And then you had Mond and down there. I mean, it was just, you, you wait to the end. And then, you know, I don't know. I hate it. I don't like how they do that. Mm-mm. All right, Shane, final team I got to hit on here. Let's jump on down to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Well, Chad Morris met with the media here on Wednesday to, you know, give us the latest update on the Razorbacks. And he kind of, you know, I think he was only down to, he's probably only had four Red Bulls today, Shane, because he was not <laughs> quite as enthusiastic as normal. Uh, good update here. C.J. O'Grady, their starting tight end, he tweeted out about having surgery that, that had to make Arkansas fans nervous, but uh, apparently he's only going to be out two weeks, so sounds like oh, he, he may be even ready to go for the season opener. I think I, I would bet they're going to hold him out because it's Portland State. you got to get him back for that Ole Miss game. That, that's just my opinion. Uh, but in addition to that, Shane, I kind of thought the highlights of this, uh, Chad Morris on the running game and, and why mm-hmm. that's going to be better because Arkansas really does have some good running backs here. And yep. then he also touched on kind of like Muschamp, hitting on camp a little bit. But because Arkansas has got such a young roster, they're going to have freshmen and sophomores all over the field. Uh, I thought this was kind of a really interesting point that Coach Morris made about this being basically the only time of the year they really get to develop a lot of these guys. One, overall, the running game, do you feel like you're going to make a big step up with the running game and why? And then you went in shorts today. Was that just – already planned, just kind of take a little off of them today? Well, we've been live uh, yesterday, and so today we pull back in shorts. We'll be live back tomorrow. Um, and then as far as uh, our run game, I mean, we expect it to take a big step forward. Uh, if anything, we should be more effective in the passing game, which should open up the run game better. Um, we've got uh, some very talented running backs. Back on your original question about who's really stood out, I think, I think Devwell Whaley's had a great camp. 
uh, Chase Hayden is, is, is really catching our attention as well. And obviously we know we're Rakeem, we, we want consistency out of Rakeem and we've seen that. Um, so with those caliber running backs, you know, that we have and, and developing our offensive line, that's, that's an area that we, we expect to see a better, you know, production out of. Um, hey Chad, is there specifically what, what are you looking for out of the scrimmage, you know, from one to two? And this seems like a time of year you're always reading about guys getting hurt across the country. What's the line you got to walk as a coaching staff? You want to have good practices, you want to be physical, but you want to take care of guys. Kind of how, how do you balance that? Well, I think you know back to what we just said a second ago. We, we uh, you know we try to teach the tempos of practice that we go through, and then we. we always are showing video of guys taking care of each other in practice. If we can practice full speed and know what the tempo is, you don't have to bring guys to the ground every play. And you can't do that. Real estate, you can't do that anyways. And so we have to learn to practice the right way. And there's been such an emphasis for our coaching staff on teaching our young men how to practice the right way. Because you do that, you get a lot of stuff done. Um, you know, it's, it's what, practice 10. You only get so many opportunities to get this football team ready for the season. And once the season gets here, we all know how fast it goes. And you're really at two good practices a week. And so trying to develop a young man during the course of a season is really hard. You don't have the time. So right now is, is the time and the challenge and the grind of camp. And, and that's what we're doing. Um, you know, I, football's, football's a contact sport. It's, it's, injuries are part of the game. Um, but when we do practice and understand how to practice the right way and stand off the ground, um, those injuries are less likely to happen. All right, Shane, so there you have it from Coach Morris. And I don't know about the running game. I, I do really like their running backs here in Fayetteville, but I just don't know. You know, you got to have the offensive line to, to put it in motion. So that I'm kind of questioning. But like I said, I really liked what he had to say about uh, this camp time being the only time you get to develop a lot of these young guys. And they're going to be expecting a ton of these guys, even if they're not starting week one, to kind of come in and fill roles down the line. Because by the end of the season, particularly if they've you know got some losses, it's going to be a complete youth movement, and they have to they have to get these guys on the same page now for when they put them in later. Oh, I agree, man. I agree. And Arkansas's track record with injuries is not good. So, uh, speaking of injuries, I, I did want to just kind of clarify this. So, you think that's why CJ? I, I know you put an article out. Was that reason he was running with the twos and threes? You think? more because of this injury, this lingering thing, or do you think it was an attitude situation? No, I think it was completely attitude because that's, okay. that's how they opened camp, and he had worked his way back up to the starting unit, from what I understand, before this injury occurred. So that's what I was kind of real nervous when I heard, you know, he, he worked so hard to get back in uh, Coach Morris's good graces, and then he gets injured. You know, that could, that could potentially be devastating, but – Sounds like he's only going to be out about two weeks, so um, that's that's you, great news. And, and one other injury, uh, you think they sit Boyd for Portland State too? Hmm, that's interesting. I, no, I think they'll play him, but <laughs> I can certainly understand them not playing. Maybe only playing him for the first half because, yeah. I mean, it's going to be 30-something to nothing by halftime. At least it should be. Right. Yeah, I was just curious because, you know, getting those young guys out there and – I really don't see any any need to have him out there. So unless he just wants to get 
get hit, you know, you know, sometimes you just, <laughs> it's been a while and you just want to hit some, th- get some thudding going on. So maybe that's it, but maybe one or two drives, but yeah, I, I, I truly see, I mean, you may see 20, 30 freshmen just on the first game, Mike. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, KJ Jefferson. I hope he gets to play at least a quarter or two against Portland state, but he, he may not play that, that long. I don't know because they've got, unsettled this at quarterback there but uh i think i think they're all going to get on the field week one against portland state that, that's what i want to say i want to see kj go out there and then just like like really blow this quarterback controversy <laughs> up you know because i really do i'd love to see him out there i just think we'll see more out of morris's offense if he is at the reins all right shane that's all i've got you got anything before we hop off here yeah buddy i got a review Ooh. This one is coming from DChuck20. It's five-star, best SEC football podcast by far. Five-star again. Love Mike and Shane. They really blend all 14 teams well, and there's always great info on each edition. Gets me through every day. Plus, had to rate, so Shane had to read this. In <laughs> 2017, <laughs> the Tennessee Vols. Didn't score a single point against Georgia at Neyland Stadium. Ooh. Happy to help get Butch Jones fired. Go dogs. You that's a dog <laughs> move right there, man. <laughs> you know, I didn't even read this uh, all the way through. That bastard. That's uh, awesome. Well, well played, well. Well played, <laughs> sir. I appreciate you, man. <laughs> yeah, so if anyone wants cousin Shane to have to embarrass himself on the show, say anything bad about Tennessee, all you gotta do leave us a five-star heart on apple podcast uh that really helps out the podcast and it's pretty damn funny if you ask me oh, that game hurt too mike i made so many sad videos off that game oh all right that's all i got i remember <laughs> I, I remember this, this I, I, a bad one man i remember going into it someone was like hey the tennessee's uh they were they're gonna fire butch right or, or no yeah. they, they said who's gonna be the next coach and i was like well they got a coach and he he better win on saturday and then it was 41 to zero and i was like okay who's the next coach <laughs> <laughs> well i kept thinking after that game he was gone you know what i'm saying yeah i was like surely after this performance you know i mean that was just it, i think it, it was worse than alabama last year you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. uh God. Well, you know what? Let's let's don't, man. Let's I'll, let's I'll, let's uh, snap and clear there, Shane. Snap, yeah. snap and clear. Yeah, yeah. The, Butch is gone. Proof's here. <laughs> He's driving around Kingston with his eyes closed. <laughs> 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 We're back, baby. <laughs> All right, Shane. That'll do it. Thank you for joining me. As always, thank you everyone for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next one. All right. See you guys. Go balls. You there? Yeah, I got you now. Swear it's fucking internet. It's like like twenty like every time it's thirty minutes, it's like all of a sudden it's like, you know what? We've been working too long. We're gonna take a break, <laughs> you know? Jeez. Okay, sorry. Back to Eli Wolf here. <laughs>